Welcome to the Fuzzy Quality Podcast, Podcast. examining AI quality and testing topics and hosted by me, Adam Leon Smith. Today I have uh, Olivier Blay with me from Canada. Hey Olivier. Hi, thanks for having me. No worries. Good to have you on the show. So, so we met because I'm part of the UK delegation to ISO's subcommittee on, on AI standardization, and, and you're part of the, the Canadian committee. How did, how did you first get involved in standardization? That's, that's a good question. Um, it, it was out of nowhere. I saw someone at the conference who was part of the Standard, uh, Standard Council of Canada, and she talked to me about uh, everything that that was going on, and uh, that we're trying to create some kind of order in like the the, the far west, which is the current uh, artificial intelligence uh, industry. And this is uh, I, I knew right away uh, that I wanted to get involved, and uh, I've been quite interested in everything related to tr- trustworthiness. And uh, this is where we we met essentially. Yes, I think you and I are one of a, a small group that are very focused on on quality uh, within that trustworthiness. So we've had a lot to talk yeah. about. But but what do you do for a day job, Olivier? Um, I'm one of the co-founder of uh, MoveAI. It's a Canadian consulting company. Uh, still a startup, so I'm doing a little a little bit of everything. Still doing some some project as a data scientist, uh, and I'm uh, I'm also uh, working uh, as a product uh, owner of uh, a, a tool that's called Snitch AI. Snitch AI, it's a uh, quality evaluation platform for uh, AI systems. Got it. Okay. So there was a really interesting Gartner report out uh, the other day. I think uh, it was called Predict 2021, yes. all about the future of data and AI. And I think I think you've seen it because I think I've seen you talking about it on, on social media. Um, some of the really interesting stuff in there, I mean, one of the things in there was a prediction that by 2024, 60% of the data used for the development of AI and analytics solutions will be synthetically generated, which I think is, uh, is interesting. Do you, think, do you think that's realistic, 60%? Possibility. But first of all, what I really liked about this report, it's, it demonstrates the maturity that uh, AI is gaining because before it was very broad. They were talking about the lack of use cases and uh, it it was on the project feasibility uh, stage. And now we're starting to get into details and talking about uh, about the the different biases that will uh, affect the the, the systems, the data, the type of output. So I, I really enjoy seeing uh, these details because it demonstrate the fact that um, that the, the AI is, is is gaining velocity and is being used for real. Um, so if we come back to what you're saying, uh, synthetic, uh, this is this is possible. Yeah, it's it's a real possibility that uh, we we create uh, synthetic data and this bring up a lot of uh, concerns. Uh, because uh, when we talk about synthetic data, we're not talking about data that necessarily represent the reality. I agree with you about the report representing kind of the maturity of the field, because it starts to move beyond just getting excited about this abstract concept into really starting to outline some of the problems that, that have to be solved. I think synthetic data is an interesting one. I guess 
for those of you that uh, those of the listeners that work in in testing, for example, you'll be familiar with using synthetic data on a, a day-to-day basis, manufacturing data to meet your needs. But the difference with it when we're talking about training machine learning is it has to retain the same statistical properties as the original data. So this is interesting from a, a privacy perspective in that I can take a production data set and turn it into something that's no longer sensitive, but uh, has the same statistical properties. So it can be used in the machine learning models. But there's another, another reason you'd use synthetic data just in terms of statistically redistributing it. So I guess it's one of the, the solutions that you have in order to correct for sample bias. Yeah, so privacy, sample bias. Also, there are some industries where there's not enough data and they'd like to have a little bit more data when it's, um, we call it uh, unbalanced. Um, So there are, uh, for instance, in uh, oncology, there's not enough data about one class that we try to predict and uh, work. We, we have the tendency to create a synthetic data to be able to overcome this uh, unbalanced uh, state. Yeah, I know one facial recognition company that is uh, trying to roll out in, uh, in Africa. And obviously, they have an immediate sample bias problem in the majority of the pictures that they've got access to through, through public sources are, are biased away from Africa because yeah. of the historic history of internet access and the adoption of, of online services. So what's interesting as well, though, is they mention as well federated learning. Um, by 2024, uh, use of synthetic data and oh, transfer learning, in fact, not federated learning, will halve the amount of real data needed for machine learning. So I guess that becomes interesting because somebody is training the model on some data that they have and then sharing that model with others who then, whilst they have access to the model, they don't have access to the data. I do wonder, though, if, if that's not going to lead to quite a lot of accuracy issues over time. So, so it, it comes back to GPT-3, to all of those, uh, those models. Now it justified the, justify the investment in, in resource to train those, those big, those huge models, because you can then just retrain uh, the, the, the last layers and being able to have okay performance but you're you're correct uh, this is th- this is not very easy to retrain um properly a, a model that has been trained on different data it will definitely impact uh, the the quality of the of the, the of the model the accuracy of the model um for different reasons a because it has not been trained on the exact data that you that, that 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 you have that you try to repurpose your model uh, for and b it's because you still need a lot of data so if you think about it you need to have at least a good sample of the data for every type of use cases that exist or not use cases but the 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 different type of uh, context i'd say for your use case and um if we think about it from an engineering standpoint we might miss this perspective so you train on just a little bit of data, it seems good, but your model is flawed because it's incomplete. Yeah, and transfer learning doesn't seem on the outside to be something that makes that process any easier. And I, I mentioned federated learning, sort of a Freudian slip there, because I guess that's another, they haven't mentioned that in the report, but that's another approach to reduce the privacy concerns. 
by moving the model training out to your mobile phone or some other device that, that's nearer to you. For me, that also introduces accuracy concerns because we then need to think about the quality of that training process and we don't have it in front of us. It's moved out of the lab into the, the wild. Yeah, and uh, when we talk about the black box, you know, this is a concept that we bring up uh, for the past decade. And now you have several black boxes <laughs> that are all acting a little bit differently. Um, so it, it, it adds a layer to a well-known problem. Uh, I agree with you. Um, but that makes me think that maybe accuracy is not necessarily the issue. We, we've been talking about accuracy for a long time. And um, maybe the, the problem is being able to have a stable solution, have a solution that, that works. And maybe the uh, experts and company, they say, you know what? I understand now that we're probably not going to achieve the 99% accuracy that we've been talking about before, before we understood the, te the technology. And now uh, let's instead try to have a solution that works, uh, even though it might be a little bit uh, less accurate. So, I, but I'm just wondering if we're able to get to, to, to hit the threshold uh, where the, the, the technology keeps giving the, the, the appropriate benefit. Uh, and, and we don't know it's case by case. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what the, uh, the, the, uh, the feedback is going to be like uh, when people do, they will incorporate more transfer learning uh, and uh, more synthetic data and more federated learning because those are not exclusive. They can all work together. But you know, when you start training on synthetic data, and federated, so you have hundreds or thousands of, of small models, and all of those models have been uh, have been uh, retrained or uh, fine-tuned uh, through transfer learning. Uh, there, there's a lot of unknown and a, a lot of risks uh, that uh, are brought up into into this uh, the, the, the use case that is going to be uh, implemented. Hopefully, there is a lot of risks, and I think. The report acknowledged that, which is which is nice, and it acknowledged it in some of its predictions rather than as risks. One of the things that they said, they said two things about 2025, which struck me. One is that the concentration of pre-trained AI models, presumably the same ones that we're using in a transfer learning, learning context, will be down to 1% of vendors. So you know, there'll be a, a few big vendors who are making pre-trained AI models and then shipping them out. And that will make responsible AI a societal concern. And the other thing they said about that day, 2025, is 80% of organizations seeking to scale digital business will fail because they do not take a modern approach to data and analytics governance. So it, it does seem quite balanced. And I think there's some real risks there. What do you, what do you think, Olivier? Yeah, no, I agree. Um, we... we we're seeing this uh, shift happening. Uh, Google being a leader, but it's all the usual suspects. It's GAFAM, uh, including Microsoft. Um, Microsoft, uh, a, a good example of this is GPT-3 being, uh, being uh, using Microsoft to, to, uh, to deliver the, the API once it's going to be, uh, to be in production. Um, so, so Microsoft is going to be 
bigger players than it is right now. Um, so, so here, this this is a a, a good point. Um, I know it's very hard for a company to deliver a a a, a AI product in the wild. Uh, it takes a lot of resource big teams uh, and I think that uh, that we currently were able to see a lot of success from the apis from from the uh, the Google the openai uh, Amazon is having great uh, personalization and and forecasting apis um, so I think they have the the, 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 the good recipe um, a lot of people have failed so I'm still confident that we're going to achieve uh, good products so if the, the foundation is is good at least i think it, it's it's better to have a good foundation and then build on this i hope that it doesn't mean a reduction of the um of the ai teams and the uh, ai culture in the organization because it's not because you're using uh, an api from google that you stop caring about the um the scientific aspect of of uh, machine learning you still need to validate that the machine learning is is uh, is working well it's uh, it brings good quality uh, and this is always a risk when you just uh, subcontract a, a third party or you're buying a license instead of buying a a model for yourself uh, so we need to be cognizant that this is also another risks uh, that uh, that's happening and we need to monitor that I guess what I expect is the teams who are developing novel things using AI that really get them their business edge, they're still going to keep all of that in-house. It's probably the businesses who, where technology isn't a key differentiator for them, especially not AI, that will adopt the pre-trained models and things from the, the big vendors, I imagine. I agree, but even, even then, uh, if you're, for instance, a manufacturing company, you're, you're not necessarily a technology company, but if you want to make sure that your quality assessment is uh, is, uh, is accurate, or or that you're you're building you're developing an edge from a quality assessment perspective, you you might be tempted to use a image recognition API. Uh, however, the way you repurpose this um, this uh, image recognition API to your own need need to be validated correctly mm-hmm. and uh, because you're going to um, you're going to use this to your uh, own need and uh, this um, this is why you still need to have a little bit of, of uh, machine learning knowledge internally to be able to customize it and validate that you're uh, you're, you're getting the benefit that you're looking for that's right so the other thing that's interesting in the Gartner report is they mentioned that in 2023, up to 10% of our training data will be poisoned by either benign or, or malicious actors. Uh, I hope they mean 10% of models will have some poison training data, not 10% of the, the data itself. And th- that worries me because I don't think it's something the industry is ready for. I think there's a lot of people out there with tools to help you um, detect data poisoning and security issues in images, but with other data structures, it certainly doesn't feel like the industry is ready for that. I, I haven't seen any um, cybersecurity teams red teaming machine learning algorithms. Um, I, I hope there are, but it seems like a very immature skill set within cybersecurity. And 
I guess, the security of machine learning? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, we're, yeah, when you're, we're talking about lack of maturity, um, a lot of people in the field, they still talk about quality being only related to performance of the, uh, like the accuracy mm. of, the, of the system. Um, but here, when we talk about the making sure that we're able to have a, uh, a machine learning that evolves properly, uh, and also a machi uh, machine learning or, or an AI system that is uh, robust, robustness is so important because it makes sure that even though there's, uh, there's po poisoning happening or there's um, a extraordinary situation or context happening, uh, that your model is not just it, it is not degrading to a point where your um, it causes a problem um, and being able to to deal with a little bit of noise and uh, this is very very concerning uh, because uh, a lot the solution right now are probably uh, are not very uh, are not existing or or they're they're not adopted. Uh, right now and uh, people the even the technique if you look at repos or you're, you're looking at blogs we're not talking about adding some noise to your model using adversarial examples to to be able to see the robustness to adversarial uh, to 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 adversarial attacks for instance and this need to be brought up and this need to be adopted because we need to get we need to be prepared right now this is a good practice but also it's a it's a good practice because it makes a more robust model so a better model if you want to generalize or if you want to keep a model alive for a long period of time but also this is a good practice from a, a, a security standpoint yeah, in the last episode, we talked to some researchers who've been trying out different test design techniques on, on uh, popular machine learning frameworks, and they managed to crash uh, various of the most popular frameworks simply by doing some boundary value analysis. It was really, really interesting. They're able to force models offline. Um, so, you know, it's huge, huge numbers of security vulnerabilities in, in ML in the wild. So, very interesting. Yeah. Now, Olivier, we were talking before about the most framework. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Gartner has released this uh, type of framework to be able to manage risks related to AI. And what it is, essentially, it's being able to identify different type of threats and then being able to identify the, the best mitigation strategies to uh, making sure that those threats are uh, dealt with. So, so, so the biggest threat are... Uh, human, uh, the system faults, query attacks, so what we just talked about, and malicious input or perturbation. Uh, those are threats. They're not necessarily security security threat per se, because a lot of those threats can also happen during training or just by lack of maturity or a lack of uh, the good processes. But those are definitely uh, root causes that might create a lot of damage or even prevent you from having uh, your model in production. Because this, for instance, if you have some uh, human uh, biases in your model, so the, the wrong type of data or a lot of bias in your data because of human uh, interventions, this might create risks uh, that your model is not going to be uh, working well 
uh, in some situations. Uh, anyway, there are uh, different uh, types. So, so those different threats, they need to be dealt with. And when we talk about the most uh, uh, framework, so M-O-S-T, uh, it's because of uh, model ops. So this is uh, one of the... Um, this is one of the the, the strategy to uh, to be able to mitigate risks related to uh, input, uh, input and uh, query attacks. So being able to make sure that you have validation checks in place and you have uh, data drift, data poisoning detection, security. Uh, because security, we need to bring security back into the discussion. Um, we've been talking uh, about performance use case for a long time. Now let's come back to the essential. So at the end of the day, uh, artificial intelligence is an IT tool when it, it get deployed. And for like any other software or IT tools, security need to be paramount and need to be, uh, need, need to be clearly uh, fleshed out. So we need to make sure that security is part of the discussion. And finally, trustworthiness so being able to uh, to validate uh, to validate the prediction validate the different type of bias responsible AI uh, is also very important so I, I will send you the link it would be interesting if we can add it to the to the description yeah I'll add it to the show notes it sounds very interesting uh, I don't know have they got much further with defining exactly what they mean by trustworthiness than other people uh, the, 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 the Barely, and this is unfortunate. I, I'm pretty sure it's coming, but uh, they they barely define uh, trustworthiness, and this is there's a lot to unpack there. So I'm pretty sure you can, uh, Adam. I think it's a good. <laughs> it would be a good uh, a, a good podcast to add uh, next. Okay, great. Well, listen, thank you for coming on the show, Olivier. That's been fantastic. Really good to to catch up with you and talk about the Gartner report. Yeah, no, definitely. Thank you for inviting me.